Welcome to Book Rising, a podcast by the Radical Books Collective. Hey everyone. So I just wanted to uh, welcome you from the Radical Books Collective and from Suchitra for the second episode of what has come to be called um, How to Write About War. And we inaugurated the series last year when Russia invaded Ukraine and then journalistic coverage happened to be sort of like the absolute pits. And so the concerns of this uh, series or this segment have always been with questions of power and representation. Who has the power to narrate, as Edward Said famously said, or who gets to tell the story, who receives this narrative and what impact it has on our society. And in the true spirit of the killjoys that we are, Suchitra and I decided to organize this because we've been following the hype <laughs> with Patan, which is an action thriller Bollywood blockbuster that just came out. In case you've been living under a rock, I'll tell you what it's about. It's India's two biggest stars, Shah Rukh Khan and Deepika Padukone, who are starring in the film. And there was lots of excitement around it. And of course, we rushed to see the film and find out that it is, as always, the ground zero of representation, uh, where they attempt to legitimize the removal of Article 317 Kashmir. Mm -hmm. We see that Pakistan is vilified in the worst possible way. And sorry for the spoiler, but not only is Deepika playing an ISI agent, but she ends up on India's side because Pakistan is just so low and so evil. Uh, Additionally, the film thinks it's also very cool to show torture. Uh, it's made part of the action narrative. Uh, and uh, at a gender level, I think uh, Deepika Padukone, who I think is gorgeous and I love her, is objectified and at a very crude and sort of sleazy level. So none of this is new. And there's a long history, of course, of Islamophobia, casteism, anti-blackness, misogyny in popular Indian cinema, popular global cinema worldwide. And we're going to discuss that. Uh, But one of the sad things I found about Patan, and which is why we chose to convene, is the way in which critics, reviewers, academics have embraced it and tried to shut down any criticism about it, that this film is the most joyful thing uh, that the world has been waiting for. Everyone who critiques it is overthinking. And it reminded me how many years ago I had actually written a very critical essay about the TV show Homeland, which is like a super racist uh, show about, uh, is a very Islamophobic about terrorism, and I had received death threats. So I feel if this is just entertainment and fun and joy, then why does the criticism bother everybody so much? I think deep down, we all know that the power of mass media and popular entertainment uh, is very strong to shape opinion, politics, representation, and our kind of society and collective futures, right? There's no, sorry to be like professorial, but there isn't a realm of culture that is separate from politics and there's no culture that's not political. So culture art is what I think we call soft power. And this works to legitimize and strengthen mainstream political power. Um, And with that in mind, I think we should dive into the way Bollywood and Indian cinema more widely controls our hearts and minds. And I'm gonna start by going around with the first question which is that we all agree on this panel that there is something like an Indian cinema, military industrial complex. And I'm not going to say just Bollywood because 
I think many smaller film industries have also begun making such films, uh, like RRR, for example, is a big, uh, you know, example of this. So I want to go around and I hope we can explain what this means. Do you have a sense of when this kind of thing started going too, too far? Like I'm remembering as a kid watching a film like Mr. India, where you had a very funny, monstrous villain like Mogambo. And now it's like, if the, if the villain is not Muslim, it's not a villain. It's just absurd. And uh, they've been very, always been very patriotic, a lot of Hindu references and symbols. But I feel like things have gotten kind of crazy over the years. So I just wanted to go around and ask you all. Maybe, Suchitra, you can start and then we can uh, go around. I mean, I think there has always been this relationship between how the other is represented in cinema. But for me, I think... It's not something new. It has a long history. And it's something, a conversation we had as well, is that for me, the first time I see Kashmir represented to me or what Kashmir is, is a thing I'm nine years old. And Roja comes. Um, and that movie is a Mayratna movie. It's a movie made by um, a, a Tamil film director. But when the first movie first comes out, all you remember is A.R. Rahman's debut. It's, it's, it's hailed across the board. You never really, also you're nine years old, so you really don't hear that kind of criticism. Uh, and I also don't actually remember seeing the movie, but I remember seeing uh, parts of it, right? Because um, I don't remember ever seeing Roja in the theater because my parents never took us to cinema, like, unlike other parents. So I remember seeing this film as fragments. You see see the beautifully photographed moments. You see Kashmir, this other uh, territory of desire, but you don't really understand. And I think I was almost 22 or 23 when I actually sat down to see Roja for the first time. And then for the for you realize the violent ways in which you normalize what it means to be Indian. Here, the Indian is a Hindu. Hinduism is the, the cool techie who is a cryptographer. Um, is this idea of a right. The, the Hindu is a secular citizen while the other is this um, Kashmiri who wants to take Kashmir away. Um, and there's one moment in the film where um, a very young, handsome Arvind Swami is summoned by his boss and says, hey, you know, I'm sick, I can't go, can you do this job? And he says, of course I'll go, I'll go anywhere for this job. Kashmir is Indian, right? So why wouldn't I? So you're already setting it up sans history, sans a certain mm -hmm. kind of context in terms of what happens. And since then, um, RRR might be the most recent, most violent articulation of Indian nationalism on cinema. Not even Indian nationalism, Indian hyper-nationalism, xenophobia, um, casteism, vulgarity, uh, so many things. But there is a much longer history. And that longer history is um, not just Bollywood. You have films like in, in Tamil Nadu, in, in the South, you have films like Spider, which is a Telugu movie. It's also again... Mm -hmm. They all work for Raw. There is Tandavam. There is uh, mm -hmm. even now uh, actor Vijay is supposed to be in this um, new. Now everything is a universe, right? There's a spy universe. Tamil Nadu also has now uh, a universe in which um, Tamil Nadu's famous actor Vijay is now going to Kashmir to shoot a thriller. So the idea of pandering to the idea of what this means has been. There's a long history, and I think I think we can kind of dismantle it, but it's mm -hmm. not. It has a much, much longer history of who is sure. the Hindu and who is the citizen and who is the other. And the other is often, often, always the Muslim man, the Indian Muslim man, the Kashmiri, and then so on. Yeah. Yeah. 
Who wants to go next? Natasha or Azad, anyone? <laughs> Azad, go on. Okay. Uh, th thank you so much for, for having me on this discussion. Um, yeah, I, I also agree with Suchitra. Um, you know, this is, um, it's sort of like a, uh, it's a difficult question to answer as in pinning down a time where, you know, this has changed. Like the Hindi film industry has always been infused with um, Hindu references and symbols. And the references have always been cultural or syncretic, you know, and everything has been somewhat tangled, but there's always been this hierarchy uh, in representation. And so, um, and ultimately, there's always this Hinduness that um, keeps it all together, ultimately. And so there's, this means that um, in the films that have always come out, the questions of caste discrimination or religious persecution uh, were always erased or neglected. I know there was like this, uh, I read a story on a scroll some time ago about how um, there was this like, uh, the kind of like a rule that you don't deal with Hindu Muslim uh, tensions uh, in Hindi cinema for some time. And then in the eighties and nineties, this changed. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I guess you could say it's always been over the top. Right. And, and there are people who have rejected it for a long time. Uh, I know personally, I know many Kashmiris who have refused to watch uh, uh, Bollywood films because, uh, um, well, we don't, we're not calling it Bollywood um, because, uh, because they recognize the sham on screen and they understood that it sold an idea of India uh, that diluted or masked their oppression. You know, they understood that. So, so yes, it's been, it has been like terrible or really bad over the past decade. But before that, um, as Suchitra says, there was Roja, okay? Before that, there was Sarforosh that made Pakistan look horrific. Uh, before that, there was JP Datta's border, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so, so I think like our reading of Hindi, uh, like popular cinema has changed because the rhetoric in and out of the cinema has become indistinguishable almost, Yeah, you know? Um, and so, um, in some ways, this is why Patan has perhaps duped so many people because it's the way it has presented the things, you know, presented the story. And so, um, but it's all of the other stuff that has always existed that's allowed us to have Padmavat and Kashmir Files and Patan in the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Natasha, it's embarrassing almost. I mean, you're actually from Lahore. <laughs> I don't know how this lands. So yeah, I think um, I'm just going to build up on what Suchi and um, Azad said. Uh, basically, like they said, it's always been there, right? It's always Sunny Deol was this uh, Indian Army soldier ki killing and slaughtering Pakistanis on like in in films, and it was this crazy bloodshed, which was just like it was so so bad that it was like almost like is this really happening? Because it was just it was just it was so out there in your face. It wasn't subtle. I mean. Nothing and none of this is subtle, but we've had films like that. Um, so I think um, I'm not going to repeat what they said because I think I totally agree with all of it. But I think what has changed, or maybe what I think may have changed for the Indian cinema, at least more recently, is um, the fact that the, um, that Azad also said that the politics has become indistinguishable. Mm -hmm. We see Karan Johar make Adil Hai Mushkil with uh, Anushka Sharma and Ishwarya, and in the film they too. They are represented as two Pakistani women, in fact, from Lahore. And he has Fawad Khan in the film. So basically, 
a week before the film is supposed to be released, um, the government in some states says it's, it cannot be released because of Fawad Khan. So Karan Johar has to issue a public apology saying that he is a, he's not anti-national, he will not work with Pakistani actors anymore, and he salutes the Indian army at the end of that footage so mm -hmm. that his film can be released. And that's a two-minute apology public video that comes out from Karan Johar, a huge director and someone who is uh, supposedly a powerhouse. But basically, he's down on his knees and begging that let my film get be released. He chops up, he chops Fawad Khan's role and he changes Anushka Sharma and Ishwariya's role and from Pakistanis, they become Indian. So he edits the film and now they're two Indian women Whereas essentially the film is not even about India and Pakistan. The film is literally about Anushka Sharma, who's in London, who's from Lahore. But the representation, that subtle representation of showing an, a normal girl in London who's from Lahore, it's so bad at that time. And he actually says in his video that the climate has changed since the time I made the video and now that it's being released. Um, so, and he says all of this in this two minute video and in the end he salutes the Indian army. And he says, um, and then that's how the film gets released. Right. So the climate is, and I, I don't, I'm like confused now because people are saying that Pathan is actually a symbolic victory because it's Shah Rukh Khan's film. So now even having Shah Rukh Khan can be basically problematic. Like I don't, I don't, like Shah Rukh Khan is a Muslim icon maybe in the film industry and they're saying the, the film is titled Pathan. So you're also hearing views of how progressive this film might be in the current climate right now because the current climate is this bad um, that a film like Pathan where Shah Rukh Khan is even readily kind of like not even owning his Muslim identity. He's like, you know, he's, he completely gives a huge backstory of how he became a Pathan and maybe he's not even Muslim. Um, so even, I mean, when you see all of this, like, you know, you kind of, I mean, I want to criticize the film and I'm going to criticize the film, but then you also know that even the big houses, what's changed is that before you had all these films like uh, Roja and Border, but you also had films like Virzara mm -hmm. and some cross-border romantic films, which Erdil Hemushkil was also supposed to be. I think you cannot have those anymore. You'll only see more of this content because it's it can be released now. The question is not what you're creating. The question is what also will be allowed to be released in cinemas. So yeah. I think that's where the, that's what the question is, and that's why uh, we see Yashraj making Virzara maybe 20 years ago, and Vishal Khan and you know Preeti's and then all of that. It may have some issues, but it's a cross-border love story with some really nice songs. Mm -hmm. um, and then now you see the same in the same Yashraj making Pathan. Um, but I think the question is, can they make Vizara now? And I mm. think that's the thing where it's, I feel like now there's a certain content which is a no-go because it's uh, deeply politicized. And also it, it means uh, not just the content, but um, whether you can last in the yeah. industry or not. Yeah, I think you're saying like, it was almost kind of liberal and then now it's just full on kind of uh, like right wingish, you know. Um, I don't want to harp on this idea of something's changed. I completely agree with everyone. It's always been the cinema where the othering has been so intense. And the Muslim, uh, whether in Kashmir, whether in Pakistan or the ubiquitous Middle East has always been vilified, right? Uh, except if it's a woman, 
that somebody is trying to rescue and fall in love with because that's that's always a, a palatable story um but i do think uh, i i i just want to connect it to something that i think azad has been writing about for a long time which is the sort of uh, post 911 uh, terror tv you know if you want to call it that uh, we are thinking of shows like homeland and all but now we are talking about a new influx uh, which is uh, something like fauda uh, you know uh, which is hugely popular and uh, and what it says to me is that india has this imperial fantasy right they want to be co-opted into a global order of uh, domination so constantly have um, uh you know references to like mossad is helping raw you know to get them and things like that i ended up and i swear to god like i lost a lot of brain cells but i was in absolute shock because i ended up watching a film with rithik roshan called war which is one of the spy universe films that i have not watched and it's just it's just preposterous like the where they're getting the intelligence and all this kind of stuff so um you know there is some desire to be part of this global order and i do think post 911 there's a new license so i don't know maybe somebody can comment on just a kind of where india is situating itself in this um, in this i think uh, azad you had also mentioned when we spoke a, a, a series called tanav uh, which is about kashmir maybe you could say a little bit about that cuz i haven't watched it yeah you sure know. um okay so I I'm I'm just going to try and make sure I don't talk too much about this um because uh once you start like you know that gets open um so okay so Fauda if um your viewers are not familiar with it is this uh show uh, like a hit series um made in Israel uh very popular in the US very popular in parts of the Arab world um very popular in India right and um it's a uh, it's an incredible show because it's very well made right mm. um like very good production values but it's horrendous propaganda with regards to how it depicts um the israeli occupation of of palestine and um you know so so it it it, it just like uh, hollywood does and just as uh hindi popular cinema has also done for the longest time it, ha- it has these caricatures you know so um um and the difference is that um it also tries to it is it has also duped people into believing that it it presents a proper argument or a nuanced idea of what's going on on the ground but it definitely does not it's like it's it's horrible so um so it's sort of like good muslims and bad muslims they have good palestinians and bad palestinians okay right. um palestinians don't have a real issue like they they have an issue there's something going on there but they won't define it as an occupation and and as as settler colonialism or, or ethnic cleansing that is taking place and that they they want they are resisting to it but it it boils down to revenge ultimately right um another thing is that um palestinians are one one palestinian is like another palestinian you know they just they're all the same essentially right and um another thing that um you know like uh, like struck me was that like the way they present like uh, uh gaza you know uh it, it's as if like gaza is like this place like on the moon somewhere you know it's like uh it's it's like a jungle essentially you know so this very immense dehumanization of a place in which you have created into an open prison but um 
that place needs to be tamed in a way. And, and, and to go there and to tame it comes at a huge cost to us, you know, as Israelis. Um, and another aspect to it um, is that uh, when it comes to counterterrorism, um, if we do something, we're doing it for the nation, you know? And so we will get a few things wrong, you know? We will exert a bit too much um, violence at times, but we are doing it for the nation. And so in the end, you've got to, you know, um, forgive us in a way, right? And mm -hmm. the only way you can redeem, like for instance, like a very particular example in season three, I think, um, I think uh, an Israeli sniper kills another Israeli, I think, right? I think that's the, 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 the example, uh, that, that's, the, that's the scenario. And because he kills another Israeli, the only redemption is that he has to die in the end, you know? He has to die. That's the only way we get through this. You know, we, we can we can uh, solve this problem. You know, when it comes to Palestinian, we you, you will go to uh, a tribunal and essentially you will um, uh, there's some some reason will come up so then you can be released. Now, to bring it back to this conversation, this is in many ways what a lot of Indian uh, firms um, are probably going to go into in terms of their direction and Tanav. Uh, was created a year ago, and that is basically uh, a replication of uh, Fauda. So it's kind of like they they wrote a script based yeah. on Fauda, and essentially um, they copied most of it, and they set it not in some some imaginary place, but they set it in Kashmir. So 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 the Indian army and the Indian um, uh, like counter terror. Uh, and raw, like the the, you know, the spies and all of that, they essentially um, take the entire story from Palestine, move it into Kashmir, mm -hmm. and then try to uh, inculcate those same values and those same tropes that I just mentioned to you. You know, good Kashmiris, bad Kashmiris, they're fighting for revenge, everything's about a mullah. Um, you know, counterterrorism, we'll do a few bad things, but we're doing it for the nation, you know? And, yeah. and Tanav, unfortunately, for them is that Tanav is horrifically done. It's not in the same production quality as the Fauda, okay? Um, so it was very hard to watch. I was endlessly bored. Um, the characters are not even that interesting. And and also, um, just to cut this part short, and I told you it's a, it's a problem, this Fauda thing with me. Um, uh, the, 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 the thing is that Fauda makes a very interesting intervention in that it kind of, all of the counter-terrorist uh, uh, terrorist, uh, officers, they all speak Arabic. And so what they do is that they go into uh, Palestine, they go into the occupied West Bank, they go into Gaza, and then they speak Arabic and they blend in, right? And if you talk to a Palestinian, they'll tell you that that is not possible. Like um, a Jewish Israeli coming in, you know, with roots in Poland coming into Palestine, they're not going to be like be able to float around. However, if you... Um, if you're an Arab Jew, okay, and and you come in, as in like uh, you're, you're Moroccan of Moroccan descent or you're Palestinian of Israeli citizenship, you come in and you become a spy in that way. Then of course you you mm -hmm. um, you can you can um, slip in. But the point here is that they at least try that to dupe the audience. In the in Tanav, they speak Hindi in Kashmir, okay. They don't even bother, okay. And that tells you the state of like the imagination of the nation. They don't even care. And the guy who goes in doesn't even look at all slightly Kashmiri in any way. So, so like for instance, the main guy in um, in Fauda, he is of uh, Arab 
you know, he's an Arab Jew, right? Yeah. So he's from Morocco or something, like there's some kind of background, Iraqi, Morocco or something. So he can make a case that he can slip in. But this guy, you know, he's from, I mean, you know, any other place. And I'm not saying that everyone looks the same in Kashmir, but, you know, you, 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 you know, you can make a case yeah, that, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is that there's a laziness also. There's so many assumptions um, and they don't care about actually making a case. And so for me, Tanav was like a fantasy uh, of recreating um, yeah. exactly what the Indian state wants to do as well in terms of recreating a kind of like hegemon culture in Kashmir. And they're actually not going to even try to even appropriate or assimilate in any way. You know, they're not, yeah. not even going to bother with that. They can just take charge, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for the long answer. No, it's all right. Tanav is not the only lazy show, though. Like, even watching Mission Majnu and also Deepika be a Pakistani in her super, like, Konkri Marathi accent, you know, it's just like <laughs> they're not even like, really trying. Anyway, uh, anybody else, whoever wants to comment? Yeah, I think another thing on the, uh, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, Azad made some really good points on how the Kashmir issue is also dealt with, and how the Kashmiris are shown. Um, but you know, since my childhood, I've been watching Bollywood films, and in any of the films, as soon as a Pakistani person would appear, I swear that person is more of a stranger than the Indians are to me. Like I can relate to all the Indian people, but not to the Pakistani person who's appeared on the screen because they're just. First of all, again, they're all the same. Yeah. Uh, then they talk in Urdu, which is just not how you talk in everyday language. They'd use word, words like everyone calls each other Janab. I've never heard of this word in my life. But it's all Janab, 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 Janab. And I'm thinking, what's going on? Why aren't you guys just what? talking normally? <laughs> and then they're all wearing the surma and the, yes. the mosque caps. All the men are wearing the caps. I'm like, like they're just so unfortunately dressed and looking and talking. And it's it's not only just boring. It's like I don't. I mean, it's so. It's almost to the point where I would just so not relate to that person that I won't even take it seriously. Yeah. I I I, I can't even fit into that mode where I'm like, oh, this is a Pakistani person because it's just so. It's just it's almost a joke. And so you just know that it's done as a propaganda and you just kind of like move on from there because you just know that it's not even done in a way where you, you would find any of it believable. Uh, and then, I mean, obviously it's much more horrible when it comes to Pakistani women because then they're all also kind of boxed into this Muslim women image as if they're all from, not from your neighboring country or even from the provinces that have been sliced between India and Pakistan. They are literally coming from Middle East. So not only the West is kind of uh, showing Pakistan Muslim women in a certain way, but India is also doing the same. So it's kind of it's almost shocking because you're like this is like it, it's it kind of erases the entire history. Um, and I, again, I feel like it's just it's it's laziness and it's also um, I mean obviously it's propaganda, but also laziness and it's almost to the point where at times it's just so funny and hilarious to watch. You can't just take it seriously. I have to say from that to Deepika, <laughs> jumping from that to like straight on to Deepika, the ISI agent, uh, it was uh, another kind of like, you know, extreme, extreme sort of uh, uh, take on the Pakistani woman or how Dr. Rubina would, uh, would, would be acting in her job yeah. uh, assigned to her. Yeah. 
So Chitra, you might have a comment on how uh, madrasis have been historically depicted in uh, <laughs> Bollywood or not, because that's another horrible kind of uh, space. But yeah, because um, madrasis are technically always depicted as Tamil Brahmins, right? Mm -hmm. um, we all drink filter coffee. We all eat vada sambar as if that's the only thing. They won't even say sambar, sambar. They'll say sambar. Um, look, the thing is not so much that um, Tamilians are depicted in a particular way. It's just that you cannot see them beyond a certain physicality, right? Yeah. The other is always the other is always depicted only through a certain physical aspect. Um, I don't want to keep going back to Roja, but even if you see the Roja, um, Arvind Swami's character is this um, young man who's, you know, he's always dressed in a jeans, a t-shirt. Um, he's Hindu, he's secular. He's not, he's not, he's not, he's West, he's, he's Western, right? Like there's nothing about him that is seen as, but the Muslims are depicted in a very, the physicality of it. Yeah. So the, in, on the other hand, now, when you see a series like The Family Man, where in season two, you have a LTT Tamil uh, woman who's depicted. Right. Again, she's depicted with all her physicality, the darkness, uh, the fighting, how um, she uses her body, sex as a way to lure in. Uh, every single othered character is always depicted through their physicality. The way you look, the way you dress, the, the surma, the, the darkness of your skin. Yeah. On the other hand, the saviors of the nation, whether it is this Arvind Swami's character in Roja to all the way to your um, spy universes, the saviors are always your Kulkarnis, your Basus, your Kumars, your Shankars. They are brimming with detail. You know, they are not just their physicality. You know, if they like, you know how they like their coffee. You know that they are horrible husbands. You know that they are, um, yeah. you know, they are liars. You know that they, they, they don't like salad. The point is that they are, if you empty them off their work, mm -hmm. these are characters brimming with detail. There is more to them. But yeah. once you empty out the physicality from the other character, who are the others? It's the Kashmiris, it's the Muslims, it's your Dalits, it's your Adivasis. Now, yeah. increasingly, your dark skinned Tamils who are not, you know, not, not your Ayyar, not your. Then what happens to them is that it's, uh, it's your physicality. And one of the things that I find it interesting is that now you have these roundtable discussions where finally they're inviting filmmakers and actors from the South to discuss what is a pan-India movie. In one of these sessions, one of the South Indian actors says, you know, for a long time, you guys couldn't even get our names right. Immediately after, this is the actor who comes in student of the year. I don't, I don't know his name. It's not the Siddharth character. It's the other guy. I don't remember his name. He immediately after mispronounces Karnataka as Karnataka. So here in what is now a conversation among elite filmmakers who are all joining together to talk about what a pan-India cinema is, a South Indian um, is saying that for a long time, you guys couldn't even get our name right. And the next minute, a popular Bollywood actor mispronounces the same thing. Um, this is not just laziness, right? This is also the fact that you are so dominant that you know you can get away with all kinds of representation. And if you can get away with this amongst even the privileged people who get to narrate, then imagine what happens to people who don't have the opportunity to challenge this representation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I, I think we should talk a little bit more about the Pan India movie. But before that, I just I don't know if anyone has an answer. Like, you know, when we think of Hollywood, we think of a lack of uh, diversity, right? When we're thinking of Fauda, when we're thinking about Homeland, we're saying that these are not Muslims, Palestinians, Arabs representing themselves as somebody else generating their reality. But what do we make of a predominantly Muslim Bollywood? Like Shah Rukh Khan is not a fool. I understand he needs to make an amazing comeback. He needs to show everybody he's still got it. But he has known, he has been in the past, uh, you know, known to have made comments like India's secular fabric is uh, ripping, you know, like that, that there are some problems. Um, you know, the industry is dominated uh, by Muslims. I don't understand why there is a, I mean, I, I don't get how one, you know, why they why they carry on with this? Why is it they have the power to shape their own representation? Like what, what do you speculate is happening there? Azad is laughing. You have to unmute. <laughs> so who's taking this one on? You uh... are. You've written about Shah Rukh Khan. Tell us, go deep into him and tell us. No, I mean, no, I, I think the... I think the main the main uh, word that you used was speculate. You know, we can only speculate, unfortunately. Um, so I guess, in a way, this is like a, a million dollar question: um, what what is driving these guys, and why do they do this? Um, perhaps on the other hand, um, we we need to go back a bit to like someone like uh, Dilip Kumar, mm -hmm. and you know, think about why did he change his name. You know, from Yusuf Khan to Dilip Kumar for the for the screen. Um, there was this piece in the caravan, that, and the journalist um, said that um, what she say? She said that someone suggested to him that he should change it to make it more secular. Okay, now imagine you change your name to make it more secular. So what does that mean? You change it to Dilip Kumar because what is that a neutral name? Um, is like I, I I don't get it, but that's that's what was said, right? So it appears to me that these guys understand the zeitgeist of the time. They just understand that they've got to operate in a way that will allow them to survive and allow them to thrive in the way that they think means to thrive, right? Um, there's also a sense that they think that they might be doing Muslims a favor by being successful. And they might think that they are doing Muslims a favor when they present Muslims as people who are in service of the nation, you know? Um, so think about my name is Khan. What a, a, a weird firm, okay? In terms of, it's so important because it kind of comes at a time where there's so much of, um, uh, so much of surveillance and so much of harassment when it comes to to especially men, Muslim men, uh, brown men, and you have this firm that says, "Okay, I'm going to push back against that." But how does it push back? It makes it makes a it, it, it creates a character. Um, I forget his first name, but he's also Khan, and um, and uh, essentially uh, he has Asperger's, right? Mm -hmm. And so so they create a so-called disability onto the man. Right. And so so and then the man goes around going and saving people. Of course, you know, when he goes to the south in the US, 
after hurricane and it's so racist that 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 entire scene but basically they they make him into a non-threatening muslim man yeah right and so that's the muslim man who's not a terrorist so the, the politics is very clear um you think about um but he thinks he's doing perhaps he thinks he's doing him doing muslims a favor you think about chakta india also mm. um that everyone says it's about unity in the states what are you talking about this is about a muslim man who plays against pakistan in a hockey match loses it and then he's deemed a traitor and then he must go and do the impossible go to go and find a, a bunch of ragtag um uh, players put them together right no one believes in them make them go and win the world cup and then he his final the final scene is walking back into his neighborhood that is that is outrageous and so so sad it's so sad and if you can't see that then i don't know what movie you've watched basically so so they feel so to answer your question i think maybe they think that they're doing their bit perhaps yeah. that they're modeling But, something uh, yeah and 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 that's the best way i can i can uh, i mean that's the best um yeah. uh, what's the word i'm looking for somewhat uh, uh, i mean the most grace i can give them on that but yeah. uh, my uh, the last point regarding this is that still it doesn't make sense and go back to your question is that you come back after 4 years you've had all this harassment and all that why Actually. make a film about kashmir you know why bring in kashmir why why do that you know um and so th- then then you got to ask ask yourself like okay how much of actual power do they have you know obviously he didn't write the script but he consented to it i mean okay if, if i can make one more comment if you don't mind yes. um lal singh chadda right i don't know if you saw it i watched like half of it i found it horrific and i had to stop um they boycotted it but they it did all the work for the hindu nationalists i mean if you watch forest camp right um there's this uh, forest goes and saves his like commander or something right wow. and and that commander doesn't want to be does it doesn't want to be rehabilitated because he's lost some limbs and he goes he he wants to stay uh in the jungle in vietnam and uh he wants to die a martyr but he forest being forest brings him out and saves him and whatever in the indian version <laughs> he saves a pakistani guy okay he saves a pakistani guy and you wonder to yourself like okay why is he doing this but then the truth comes out like 10 minutes later in which the pakistani soldier he's not even a soldier actually he's supposed to be a soldier but he's dressed as a terrorist because he doesn't even have uniform um although they're fighting a legitimate war whatever that means um he's he he's sitting with uh with um, amir khan and he says do you know you know i was i'm pakistani right like i'm not from your regiment so he goes oh i i just saved people right so the sentiment the sentiment is already like look how good these guys are right they just save anyone then he watches tv and he sees a mullah on screen oh my god and the mullah says you know says something like anti india and and then the the pakistani commander says you know these are the guys that duped me into fighting you and look how nice you people are like mm-hmm. so you you are so unoriginal you take forest gump that's made like 100 years ago you make a film and you copy it then you twist it into an entire indian nationalist like narrative so you so you go back to your question is like okay you why are you doing this but why are you taking it one step further and doing it like you you, you are doing all the hard work for them you know mm-hmm. so that question i cannot answer <laughs> any other thoughts i agree 
I mean, I, I think it is much more than money talks, you know, that's what I, I'm trying to get at. Like, everybody's like, well, he's making a lot of money. Isn't that enough? And it's like, no, actually, he was harassed. Shah Rukh Khan was harassed by the government. He went through a lot. And then here we are, you know, Kashmir, the first line out of these people's mouths in uh, Pathan. It's just, I don't get it. Why? You know? Natasha, you're muted if you're trying to say something. No, I was just also going to say, you know, like the kind of harassment Shah Rukh Khan had in the past couple of years, like with his son's episode and all of this and that. So those are like real, like, I mean, these are serious harassments to to somebody who's supposed yeah. to be the king of Bollywood. Uh, but how powerful is this king when he's literally on camera begging for his son to be safe? Like, and he's not, he's never uttered a word. Because he cannot, like, no matter what has happened, his family has not never given a word on that entire episode, which was a national crisis at the moment. Um, so it's also, um, I mean, I agree. I, I do feel like, you know, when it comes to borders and kind of showing them as neutral spaces, is just, it's just horrific. Uh, whether it's Kashmir or any side of the border, you know, these spaces in between India, Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan are not neutral. And, and the voice of the people is obviously not there. Uh, but at the same time, it's almost like what, uh, what's, and I, that's what I feel like was changed in the past six to eight years is that the, the kings of Bollywood or the people we always thought were so powerful have also been brought to their knees when it comes to the release of their films or what's accepted or not. It's no longer accepted uh, to have a Dilhe Mushkil with, no, with Pakistani women, it's no longer accepted. Even Deepika showed up to one of the CAA protests or one of the, with the students thing. Yeah, and it was like, you know, it was, I mean, honestly, one has so much respect for that small move because you were dying to see Bollywood or any big uh, sort of like powerhouses to come and support the students at the time. Um, but then what happens? Her, her film is completely made by Sanjaleela Bhansali and it's just banned. Yeah, and there is an entire again national crisis that the the movie will not be released because of whatever X Y Z reasons in the story. So you see that whatever move they make have real repercussions on their personal lives and their professional lives. Um, and I I I I kind of doubt the power that they're supposed mm -hmm. to have, and I think they're ready to now pedal wherever it, it's kind of like selling. And it's it's sad, but they accept there there is this acceptance of scripts and dialogues that in their films, which really are shown as neutral, and, and they're not. Yeah. So I think my, my my question is more on how much power do these Muslims who we think are dominating Bollywood really have? Well, that's um, an, that's an excellent excellent point. You know, what, and even what Salman Khan when he was recently like. Uh, I think Shah Rukh Khan gets the worst hit. I don't, and I think maybe because he does own bits and parts and pieces of his Muslim sort of like Muslimness or whatever. Uh, but Salman Khan recently also was claiming somewhere that you know his mother is a is a Hindu and the father is a Muslim. So I, we've all seen all of them explaining their family, where they're coming from, why they're Muslim, how much are they Muslim. But as I've never heard someone like Amitabh Bachchan explain who his parents were, why they were Hindus or why they were not. But all the Muslim heroes have explained their family lineages, their, you know, how much of their parents were secular and a lot. Shah Rukh Khan himself is married a Hindu woman and he's, he's kind of, he's always mentioned that in all his interviews. So he's, there's a constant explanation that is asked 
mm-hmm. with with the same power. Actually, the Muslims maybe don't have the power. Actually, it's the Hindus who are dominating the industry because they do whatever they want. No one is asking them to explain their religion, their family, or the scripts they're taking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it is a problem when Shah Rukh Khan does take that script, and you do want to question him even more. That why are you doing it? You are not supposed to do this. It's okay if, like, you know, somebody else who's from a Hindu family, but also loved as much and a main Bollywood star, does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a problem with Shah Rukh Khan, and I, I mean, I also have a problem with it. As much of a fan as I, I am, I think maybe the expectation is also more. Maybe we're also doing the same thing. We're kind of like, you know, you are a Muslim. You prove to us that you are going to do this X, Y, Z. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. it is problematic, the kind of scripts that are being peddled in the in Bollywood and the, the films that are being made. Um, but yeah, I, I also feel like the powerhouses that we imagine the Muslim heroes are, I'm not sure of that as much because at some point or the other, they're always um, at that point explaining their Muslimness or um, their choices they've made. Um, so yeah, I'll just pause there now. Yeah, well, Natasha, you've done the impossible, which is to convince me that there is some vulnerability that these <laughs> that these stars are uh, coping with, which is, I think, I think uh, you're quite right. So, Chitra, I'm, you can comment on this too, but I do want you because I think you know the most in this panel about this Pan India movie, and you know, every day I watch ten minutes of RRR. I mean. This is like, this is a travesty of a film because at the end of this film, this is an anti-colonial film. And at the end, the man takes the avatar of the god Ram. And then the other guy is a fake Muslim for a while. And then he becomes Bhim, another epic mythological character. And he fights in the dhoti and the bow and arrow. And even his hairstyle uh, becomes like Ram. I mean, I, I, it's just, it's not even subtle. It's not even anything. It's just crazy. And he's, they, you know, as you know, both of them control animals and stuff like that in the film. I, I don't understand. It's just like a whole other level of imagination. Uh, but I just want to know, I just want you to tell us a little bit um, what's going on there. I think you started to touch upon it, but maybe a little more. I mean, I think you really have to go back to the fundamental question of who is making these films? Right. Who's making these films and for whom? And whether it's someone like Mani Ratnam or Raj Mauli, these are incredibly privileged, powerful men who are all upper caste, upper class, who have a very specific view of what India should look like. If Shah Rukh Khan is forced to perform a kind of secularism, you know, then he's a certain kind of secularism and loyalty is demanded of him then these men have existed in a realm where they have always had the absolute power to depict what they think is the ideal Indian citizen is. And that ideal Indian citizen, according to them, is a man, a Hindu man of certain values. They are also saviors, right? They're also, all these men are saving women. They are saving women. They are saving their communities. They are saving their people. And The idea of this pan-India movie is this appeal to a nation, right? Appealing to an entire nation. I think for a long time, at least when I was growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, the idea was that there was no, at least this is the part of indoctrinating you with a certain kind of secularism, is that you said things like unity and diversity. 
that we're all different, but together we make something. I think what these kinds of films started doing was to say that, no, there is no diversity. There is only unity. There is one Indian audience and we are going to mold this Indian audience the way that we project what it means to be masculine. We are going to redefine masculinity. And the redefinition of masculinity is always in relationship to what you think this mythical character of Ram is, you know, this, this, this man. And there have been some incredible scholarly works that talked about how, if you actually look at Ramayana, as you sing, the actual texts of Kamba Ramayana, there's a, there are lines that say that um, Ram was never a skin, skinny, muscular man. He's actually described as a man with big buttocks. You know, there's actually a sentence that says that, look at the way Sita looks at him and says, oh, look at the way this man's bum moves. You know, this is in, in these texts. But there is work that is done which talks about the transformation of Hindu deities into muscular figures. And that's what you see as CGI. If, if Pathan, Shah Rukh Khan comes with, I don't know, 17 pack at this moment, then in Bahubali, in RRR, these men are physically transformed. What was once seen as the dark-skinned South Indian, the short, stout Madrasi. So you have two things happening, right? The Madrasi is still dark-skinned, he's an accountant, he's all of those things. At the same time, you have a new muscular, virile person who is now catered to what is seen as this pan-India movie. The pan-India movie also erases ideas. And what RRR does is it takes two so-called historical figures and mm -hmm. merges their timelines, merges who they are. And the character of this, he's actually an Adivasi, someone who's not only fighting British occupation, but someone who is from a tribal Adivasi community is always fighting the Hindu society that lives adjacent to as well. You are not only oppressed by the colonial powers, you're also, you're also part of a deeply feudal structure. But here, his life is then taken and merged into the life of what essentially is also another colonial subject, but a slightly more upwardly mobile. Uh, and he's teaching him. You have this whole infantilization of one man by another. And all of these Pan-India movies, you see that happening. What even with um, Pony and Selvan and all of this, the men look a certain way right? They are seen that it's supposed to match. And what you're really doing is you're taking stories, you're, you're erasing regional ideas, right? For example, I grew up in Madras. If I traveled 100 kilometers down, the Tamil changes. Mm -hmm. I don't even speak the Tamil or the Telugu of the, that my ancestors spoke because my when they moved with that, I lost a bit. If I traveled another 150 kilometers down south, then it's a different dialect. I don't know. I'm not even familiar with the histories of my own state, my own, because that's how history and memory is local. And what these pan-India movies are doing is you are molding and creating a kind of an audience that can see everything streamed on the screen. And I think that's going to have deep... Um, it is, as Azad said, it has... It's created this audience. It's created yeah. a certain kind of people that who can agree production qualities might vary, but you're creating that and you're doing it over and over again. Yeah, manufacturing consensus around a certain uh, imperial notion of what is India or what unity is. Uh, uh, I think we'll do a last question because I won't let anyone get away without this question, which is, which is the question of the love plot in these films. Uh, and I'm talking about interreligious 
uh, inter-border, uh, you know, a cross-border, not inter-border, cross-border romances. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, there's a lot of um, shows, a uh, lot of movies that are um, really intensely working to kind of give us this Pakistani woman, this irresistible, beautiful Muslim Pakistani woman who needs to be swept up uh, by the arms of the Indian man or, you know, India, or it doesn't matter, right? Uh, and here, of course, um, Veer Zara comes to mind. And then now Mission Majnu, which is all, it's also super problematic because what it does is it claims to be rooted in uh, historical research because it's about A.Q. Khan. And it's just, it's super shocking because you're just subsumed within this extraordinary fiction uh, but all the while we are being told that this is a true story or something, that this is based on a kind of uh, lived truth. Um, of course, there's Fana, which is the uh, bad Kashmiri, good Kashmiri, because uh, she, you know, at the end, Kajol, who plays the nice Kashmiri, uh, is uh, off to kill off uh, Amir Khan, who is the Kashmiri insurgent. She's like, no, you know, I'm going to kill the father of my kids because he like wanted Azadi or whatever. And, um, you know, and then you have a film, Alia Bhatt's film Razi, which is also very strange about it. You have Pathan, where you have the Pathan fall in love with the ISI agent uh, Deepika. Uh, why does Bollywood fetishize uh, a, a romance between an Indian slash Hindu guy with a Muslim woman? Where are we going with this? I know there's lots of critiques of gender, of course, the objectification, the fairness and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just going in a slightly different direction. And I wonder what people think about this. Natasha, you might want to go first because you started speaking about this before. Yeah. Um, I mean, I also, I think if similarly, there was a whole uh, case on Fawad Khan for Love Jihad. Because I think they also had a problem that's about why was Fawad Khan falling in love with women, and it's a it's a jihad, and then love jihad becomes very kind of like a thing where they, they kind of say that it's the Muslim men who are actually going after all the Indian women, and um, and then Fawad Khan was a case in point where so many women loved him, and you know kind of um, uh, were his fans, and then so 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 it was seen as a problem because the idea was that why is a Pakistani Muslim man. Uh, the icon over here and and the women are after him uh, to be honest I don't know I, I really don't know what the, I, I can uh, I don't know what the idea is I think if maybe um, it would if it was the table was turned and if it was seen that as a um, uh, the man was from Pakistan and the woman was from India it would be a lot more um, it, it won't be accepted because I think they kind of see how patriarchy is uh, the, the, if, if you look at all the patriarchal sort of like notions in films, it's it, you always have to rescue a woman. A woman is sort of like a weaker point needs who needs to be rescued. Um, and there's Pakistani woman that's always also kind of um, has this pressure from her relatives and the relatives are, are kind of like these people who are pressurizing her, who have suffocated her. Um, and then she needs that kind of a, a, a savior from across the border and it becomes a perfect love story. Um, so uh, I think... Um, I mean, have I, no pressure from relatives in India or anything. It's just a <laughs> infinite freedom and modernity. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, and then so often when you you'll you'll see a really beautiful Pakistani woman who's so sweet and innocent and you know needs to be rescued, but all the the relatives are these real mad villains. And talking to her as if like you know she's a nobody and and so so it's so it's, it's that kind of a picture and that kind of you know that what all we have talked about is it's creating that monolith that even when a Pakistani woman is shown she is a weak point and she needs to be saved um, and that creates a perfect love story in so many stories. I will say that in we because and I guess because like I'm saying I think the lines have changed the rules have changed because even though we Zara had its own sort of like similar issues where some of the Pakistanis were like completely evil and blah, blah. Uh, but then uh, in that film, I remember Shah Rukh Khan was um, in Air Force and he leaves the Air Force because he, he has to go to Pakistan and he has to be, uh, and he can't be in Air Force and also be going to Pakistan unassigned or whatever. So he, I think he ends up leaving the, and it's, it's a very small thing where he's leaving. Can you imagine now that somebody is uh, leaving Air Force or the army for the love of his life who's in Pakistan? And, and so I feel like the, even the rules, even those rules have changed. Uh, that we, we had problems with them, but now there are new rules. And really, you, you really have to prove the nationalism. And in whether it's in subtle terms or completely outright jingoistic, I, I feel like the rules of the games have changed because uh, we may have a problem with visa, but now I feel like even visa is not possible. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really not. Yeah, yeah. You're right about the changed uh, approach. Also, uh, in Veer Zara, he really teaches them because he guards her honor for 22 years. I just watched it this week again. And <laughs> guards her honor, this Pakistani girl's honor. And then Pakistan, the Supreme Court or wherever his case is heard, apologizes on the behalf of the nation. Like, you, Indian, have saved our girl's honor and thank you so much. And we apologize for your imprisonment. Anyway, sorry. Azad and Suchitra, let's uh, conclude, I guess, a little bit on these points if you have anything to add. I mean, I was watching the the Yashraj Spy Universe for, for preparation for this. And then um, in the Tiger series, I think the Tiger Zinda Hai, the Salman Khan series, he also leaves raw for her. But also saying that, and there's this thing where, you know, she says, you know, I know, you know, you love the nation more than me, so you have to go, you know. And again, his wife is Pakistani. And then she says, and then she also has to go save her nation. Um, and I found this whole moment where India and Pakistan work together. And there is this moment where there is this uh, there's this Indian uh, sharpshooter who then dies, uh, who carries around the Indian flag with him. And the story is that, you know, he says, you know, when we rescue our nurses, we need to, we're going to like plant the Indian flag in ISIL held territory. So he carries this, this flag around with him. Uh, of course, he dies saving the Pakistani ISI team that they work with. And then finally, the movie ends with the Pakistanis saying, that, you know, he saved your life. So you have to put the Pakistani, the Indian flag on the on the rescue bus that's van that's taking them away. So the Pakistanis plant the Indian flag and then the Indians say, but you, you know, put your flag as well. And then they plant the Pakistani flag. And the last scene of Tiger Zinda Hai is this van going into the American embassy with both the flags flying. Mm -hmm. And again, here the, the Indian Muslim had to sacrifice his life in order for, 
you know the the thing to be taken mm-hmm. but i think it's not just that right i think it's about the fact that there's an interesting line in patan where they says you know oh isi is become this dating service for indian that. men <laughs> which i love that it's <laughs> so funny fetishization of the muslim body if yeah. muslim women especially pakistani or kashmiri women are fetishized in a certain way the body of the indian muslim man is also fetishized in a very specific way and all of this at this point in time it feels more like a setup for a stand up comedy than and this is dangerous and i think that's also important yeah, this is right into the love jihad stuff right that happened yeah yeah azad is back yeah yeah sorry about that um yeah i i think suchitra um and uh, natasha summarized as well I, I, you know um the idea of um of using women right i think it goes back to this point where women are kind of like the battleground on which this war takes place mm-hmm. and you shame the other man if you are able to take their woman as such um and if you think about um how um you know um like for now for, for instance right like it's so linked to nation and and um you know amikan is like this like like terrorist who seduces like this kashmiri woman who um sort of like was blind you know and so that idea that she's blind i mean i mean <laughs> what is there to say about that like she's confused she's much more as well by the way huh? there's a blind yeah. woman in that as well so she's confused she's blind uh, she needs to be guided she needs to be saved why, mm. why is it so uh, surprising that when 370 was revoked um one of the first arguments was that this was going to give kashmiri women equality you know so when you we think about the nexus between like the nation and and the the idea of saving women um and reclaiming you women um i think it's it's like obvious in that way um yeah. and it's 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 horrific <laughs> and it's also like with visara also like on on one on one level like we won't see films like that on the other hand there's so many problems with the film <laughs> it's yeah. like you know on one side it's all this patriarchy that you are saving this woman from and um and, and and all this rigidness and on the other side it's like you you are color you full of color and um everyone's like um so open and so uh welcoming and uh in the end the woman is 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 brought back to india brought back to india you know yeah. uh yeah. so so yeah <laughs> yeah i know uh it's it's pretty uh it's pretty intense and you know there's a whole a romance with the raw agent uh rithik roshan is such a compassionate raw agent that he in war he can go nuts killing like millions of people in every single fight sequence but he cannot bear to watch the stoning of this particular woman and so he immediately breaks breaks mission breaks mission whatever is going on with this mission and uh, he saves her you know so uh, the romance with the raw agent the depiction of kashmir uh subsuming uh you know gender all of this stuff it's super super problematic um and uh i just want to say thank you to everyone i think we could talk a lot more but uh, we should probably not cuz our uh, blood pressures will go up um and uh, i just want to say thanks and uh, this recording will be available on youtube <laughs> also be a podcast thank you so much thank you so much
Thanks, Bhakti. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you.